Let's open our Bibles. Revelation chapter 2. We're going to deal with the compromising church this morning, Pergamos. We're going to pick it up in verse 12 this morning through verse 17. I'd like to pray with you guys one more time before we jump into God's word. I don't think we fully understand, Father, but it's so neat to think about how you walk in the midst of the seven lampstands and you hold the seven stars, the gnarly sword that comes out of your mouth. God, the word of God. What a privilege, what a grace to be able to have your word, to know it, to be able to study it together this morning. We're asking of you, Father, to give us ears to hear. God, not what I would have to say, but what your Holy Spirit would have to say to the church. We want to hear from you. So I offer myself to you, God. Speak through me. I pray, God, that you would Open our hearts that we'd understand the revelation of who you are. God would change us, grow us, Father, that our faith would even increase today as we hear your word. For we know it's impossible to please you without faith. We want to be those who are believing. That doesn't come natural, God. It's so easy to doubt. And then we have our enemy coming against us, Lord. Firing those darts, Lord, those lies. God, he wants to derail us. So, Heavenly Father, would you please, for each and every person here today, Lord, meet with us in a real way, that our lives would truly be changed. God, for your glory, I pray in your name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's take a look. Uh, let me see if I can pull this up. Uh, I got to go ahead there. If you don't have a Bible, the... The scriptures we're in are up on the screen here, but we're going to pick it up in Revelation chapter 2. This is the third letter that we're going to address this morning that Jesus gave to the Apostle John while he was on Patmos. And these are letters from Jesus. And he tells us here in verse 12, And to the angel of the church of Pergamos, write, These things says he who has a sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, Antipas and my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also have those who hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come quickly, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name, written which no one knows except him who receives it. So in these letters, guys, we've seen Jesus. Okay, He's looking to comfort, to commend, to console, and also to correct. So with his sovereign knowledge, you guys keep seeing him say, I know, I know. He knows what's going on. He knows what's going on in Kokona, Wisconsin, in our church. He knows what's going on in our lives. He knows it all. He knows your deeds. You guys remember the church in Ephesus? I know your deeds. But you left your first love. I know your tribulation, Smyrna, that you're being persecuted there. And today, to Pergamum, I know where you dwell. I want to go back to our map here. This is where Pergamus lays in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey today. First city that we're looking at that didn't have a harbor, but it was the capital city of Asia Minor. Great history around it and an imperial cult there. And I don't know about you guys, but reading this morning, when I talked about um, Satan's throne, what is he talking about? What do you guys think about when you think of throne? Well, that's where the authority comes from. Oh, really? Satan has a throne? If anyone is willing to give their allegiance to somebody, they have a throne, whether we like it or not. And in this world today, you're either a child of God or you're a child of Satan's. That's what the Bible says. Many people have given their allegiance to a bad king. They're blind. They're clueless. Satan has them exactly where they want. He can do whatever he wants in and through them. And then those who've chosen the good king, Jesus Christ, given their allegiance to him, he's on the throne. We know one day he will return and he will set up his kingdom here. I look forward to that day. I know you guys do too. But who's the God of this age? 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it's Satan. And we look around and some of us scratch our head too much that we're going bald and we just can't figure out why. Why, world? Why are we doing this? Why is there so much hate, so much evil, so much chaos? Why? Well, it's because we've given our allegiance to a bad king who hates us wants to rip us off, destroy us, ultimately kill us. So it's the place of authority and power. So he is calling them to live out Christian truth there, even though that's where Satan's throne is. Can you guys relate at all? I sure can. It's not popular to stand in truth, to stand for Jesus. You guys notice that? We can stand for a lot of things. You know? I got pride. I just want to love. I stand for Jesus. How dare you? That offends me. I mean, that's the reality of living in a time where Satan's throne is predominant. It's a tough place. But you guys catch he knows. I found so much comfort this week in just chewing on that reality. He knows brother and sister. 
Don't think it a strange thing when you fall into various trials, fiery trials. It's our life as children of God. And what do they have a concern for? A truth. And Jesus saw that. And he was concerned for them. You guys got to keep the truth. Keep standing in the truth. And there's a tip that we find in verse 12. The one who has a sharp two-edged sword. So the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the golden lampstands, Ephesus, left their first love, the first and the last who is dead, who was dead and has come alive, Smyrna, the suffering, persecuted church. And Jesus is not only concerned that we love him first and most, and that we endure suffering for his name's sake faithfully, but also that we cling securely to truth, the sharp two-edged sword. Do you guys know that the sword of the Spirit is the word of God? And we all love the armor of God there in Ephesians 6. But do you guys know that all the armor of God is for our protection? Put these things on. The only offensive weapon we got is the word of God. And Jesus is telling us here, you need to cling to my word. I fear today seven horrific false teachings that are around us. I believe the worst one is universalism. It is anti-gospel. It is anti-Jesus. Many of them embrace the teachings of Jesus, but they'll embrace the teachings of Muhammad, Buddha, whatever teacher. There are no absolutes. All gods always lead to God in heaven is what they teach. Well, if you believe that, then you're calling Jesus Christ a liar because Jesus said he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through him. So universalists, and there are many around us, they do not believe the gospel. They believe a bad king, a father of lies. And Jesus is not the only way to heaven. I think that's the worst teaching that is out there today. Well, hey, good for you. I'm glad you have your faith. And I can have my faith. We're all good. No, we're not all good. We're all going to handbasket to hell unless we've repented and turned to Jesus Christ because he alone is Savior. I could talk much more about that, but I think you guys get the point, right? Another <clears throat> horrific teaching that's really crept into the Christian church is the prosperity gospel. Again, it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're told that in the last day we're going to heap up teachers for ourselves because we have what? Itchy ears right? Well, I want to be told that God just wants to bless me with wealth and health and to be happy all the time. And it's sad because when we turn on the Christian television networks, what do we see? These false teachers proclaiming a false gospel. The prosperity gospel, I've been fighting sickness. I've been told it's because of sin, lack of faith. If you are ever sick, brother, it's because you don't have enough faith. 
how about I was loving people, serving people, and I caught a cold? You lack faith. Really, guys, it's the teaching of Buddha. That's what the prosperity gospels grabbed a hold. It's karma. That's literally what they're teaching. If you're good enough, then you'll be blessed enough. No, we're going to go through it, guys. You will go through many tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. That's what God's word says. And for anybody preaching anything differently, that's false teaching. And then there's the spoken word. New age, name it, claim it stuff that is out there. You guys familiar with that? It's all over too. Eastern influence there. You just do what feels good. Man is divine. Look to yourself. What is in your own heart? God tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. And we're to look to ourself as divine? I don't think so. We create our own reality. They're nuts. Just speak it into existence, then it will be. Really? I want a Porsche and that woman for a wife and a big house over there by the lake. Really? That's how it works? Sounds like a genie in a bottle. And then one we can't escape, one we see the scriptures addressed so often is legalism. I think we struggle with it, all of us. We get it. It's by grace alone. We teach the word of God. We understand the gospel. It is a gift, guys. It is God's grace through faith. Okay? We get that. But how prone are we to fall into legalism? And then, hey, I'm a Christian. And this is what you have to do to be holy too. And we have attachments to grace, but we want to add other things to it. You need to be baptized also to ensure your salvation. You can add a lot of things to the list. You need to be a part of this denomination. You need to do this or that to make sure you're truly saved. If you don't go to church on Saturday and keep the Sabbath, which is on a Saturday, you're practicing lawlessness and you're going to hell. I don't care if you believe in Jesus Christ or not. You're practicing lawlessness. That's legalism, guys. Jesus came to set us free. You understand that? Walk in that freedom. And oh, there are holy things we end up doing. We end up doing the law and fulfilling it. Why? Because we're just responding to God out of love. Yeah, I want to love you. Yeah, because I love you, I want to love my neighbor. And love fulfills the law, guys. Hyper grace. That's the other extreme. We go from legalism to hyper grace that's out there. And that's an overreaction to legalism. Well, I grew up in a church that was so legalistic. I don't even know if they really knew Jesus or not. They all think they're getting to heaven because they're really good people. It's all about grace. And I'm going to sin so grace can abound. What does the Bible say? Certainly not. We don't swing crazy the other way. That's an abuse of grace. Don't throw it back in God's face. 
Now I want to address, address the mystic church. This is growing. They focus on emotions. Focusing on our emotions. They have a lot of undefined lines of sin. We know the Bible says that, but that's not really what God meant. That's not really sin. Avoidance of culturally sensitive topics. They don't even want to go there. They'll actually ignore scripture. I don't know if you guys have caught this, but every group I've mentioned so far, the one thing they all have in common, they ignore scripture. And that's why we take the whole counsel of God serious here at Freedom. Why are you going through this, Pastor? Because I love you. I can tell you I've wept over these things, these beliefs. People who believe, especially those who were once part of the church and have left for these lies, left the truth. And I warn you because I love you. The new apostolic reformation that's taking place, it's a mess. It's just, I could say much about it. It is the fastest growing denomination here in America. Be careful. They are wacky. Okay, Look at their doctrinal statements. Go online. Don't take my word for it. But steer clear. They're ignoring the word of God. And people are being drawn to them big time. And it's emotionally driven. It's very cult-like. Be very careful. And the last one I'm going to mention is the Reformed Church. And it's the new Calvinism, the hyper-Calvinism. It's becoming huge. A lot of churches are changing their doctrinal stances to adhere to these teachings. Man really doesn't have free will. That's what they teach. We don't have free will. I don't know why this pencil's up here, has smiley faces on here. But they would say, if I took this pencil and talked about it, it's because I didn't have a choice. God made me do it. And if I choose to drop this pencil, I didn't actually choose to drop that pencil. God made me do it. If you are saved, born again, and going to heaven, it's because God made you saved. He forced you into relationship with you. You have no choice. God doesn't love the whole world. God has different types of love. That's what they say, and I have a lot of fancy language that comes around it. They dismiss a lot of scripture to come to this presupposition. They ignore the word of God. There's a scripture I love. You can jot it down, Ezekiel 33, 11. It says, and surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord. Do we believe God is sovereign? Absolutely. Why? Because the Bible teaches it, and we're not going to ignore what the word of God says. He is sovereign. And he says, I take no pleasure in death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? Sovereign Lord says clearly, we have free will. He wants no one to die. Turn, repent. So in God's sovereignty, we have free will. 
That is what the scriptures make very clear. And to teach anything else is false teaching. I believe many of the Calvinists are brothers in the Lord, but they have clung to false teaching and it is dangerous. And I believe they're leading many astray. And in that, I think many think they have security in the Lord and they're not really born again. Guys, we are called to repent and believe. And if we sit and think we're just saved because my mom and dad were believers or because I feel like I'm a Christian and, you know, that's why I believe. Man, even the demons believe. Have you personally chosen to give your life to Jesus Christ? That's what matters. And there's a command out there to believe, to repent. That is on us. God doesn't force us to do that. That is our choice. Otherwise, he's no longer love. Would you guys agree with me? Love waits. Someone that forces somebody into a relationship they don't want, that's rape. That's not the God of the Bible. I'm sorry. So these are just a few. I could keep going on about falling. But we're told in the last days that this would be going on. And we see it all over. And we find safety in the scriptures. We don't want to ignore the word of God. And we also, guys want to be open with having dialogue and working through these things because there's things that do come up. You know, these things are appealing. There may be some truths in them, but are we going to search out the scriptures together and have conversation, study to show ourselves approved? Do we really get what God has declared, what he means? That is so important. So there are two consequential truths that Jesus is concerned about in this passage. The truth about himself and the truth about holiness. Did you guys catch that as we read? So the truth about himself. You hold fast my name and you do not deny my faith. Verse 13. So they are commended for this. Did not. Okay, name, that would be identity or reputation, character, glory. You've held to my name in the faith, work, that gospel. Have you put your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ? So these are parts that are essential to Christian faith. They're non-negotiable and they cannot be compromised. And they were not compromised in the church at Pergamum, but at great cost. Verse 13, you hold fast my name. You did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one who was killed among you. So we really know nothing about Antipas. We can guess, but he did not. That's what I love about him. Okay? So look at what Jesus calls him. My witness, my faithful one. Wow, think about verse 5 of chapter 1 in Revelation here. Jesus Christ, my faithful witness. Do you want to be a faithful witness? I do. But I want everybody to like me too. Sorry, I can't have both. Jesus offends people. He always has and he always will. We do not compromise on the unique identity of the work of Jesus. 
It's for his namesake, so his reputation. Jesus cares more about his reputation, okay? And is there any way in which our lives shows that we don't? Got to evaluate. <laughs> we can see this is what God's declaring here, but are we doing anything to say otherwise? And that's why it's good to examine ourselves. So this was the situation that our brothers and sisters found themselves in in Pergamum. In the truth about holiness, you look at verses 14 and 15, there are some that are holding to the doctrine of Balaam. Well, is that a holy teaching? I've found whenever a name is attached to some type of denomination or some belief system, it's normally off. It's normally not holy. Well, what is Balaam up to? <laughs> What's it? Well, you guys can read later on your own in Numbers chapter 22 to 25 that lays out the whole story with Balaam and the Israelites. He, was, he suggested that Balak, uh, that he'd have the Moabite women, that they should go and seduce the men of Israel, the Israelites, and invite them to take part in their idolatrous, immoral feast by provoking... Uh, them to do so it ended up provoking the anger of the lord so the idea around this guys is promoting or teaching ungodliness among god's people so it's minimizing sin one of the largest churches in america said hey sin's not on the menu here they don't want to talk about it what chapter well, numbers 22 to 25. yeah yeah 22 to 25 in numbers so the idea of Balaam's teachings is we minimize sin, and we're seeing it happen in the church. Okay, We take in a whole sermon, and sin's not addressed. Why is that happening? Because we're ignoring Scripture. We're just reading Scripture. We're going verse by verse right here, guys. Can't just skip this. It's what Jesus is calling out, and this is a big part of what he's addressing to the church in Pergamos. And who are we to say, well, we don't want to talk about that. We want to minimize sin. Well, then we're practicing idolatry. We're following false teaching. What about holiness? And then he brings up the Nicolaitans again. Haven't we heard about them already? He hates it. <laughs> he hates that, the oppression of the people. Okay? But we need to stand. We're not to compromise and that's happening in our own land, guys. The world is coming and saying, hey, you need to believe as we believe. You need to think as we think. You Christians are offending us in our sin. It's not sin, it's good. No, it's evil. God calls it sin. Let's stop calling evil good. And good evil. <laughs> that's what's going on. And we need to stand there was this imperial called emperor worship that was taking place with them. Idolatry comes up. What's idolatry? That's just misplaced longing for security. I'm going to idolize this because I think I'm going to find security in it. And then the immorality that comes up, that's misplaced longing for intimacy, which equals love substitutes. So knowledge about Christ's name and faith are to lead to worship 
and sanctification that affect morality and idolatry. Knowledge about Christ's name and faith are to lead to worship and sanctification that affect morality and idolatry. Thanks for having me repeat that, because that's about as good as it gets this morning. That's point. I need to get an amen. Amen! Amen! (laughs) Because Jesus is serious about holiness. That's the point. He's serious about this, guys. So teaching it and practicing it. So what is he telling us here is that it is not enough to cling to the truth about Jesus, though we must, but the truth about Jesus must also form how we think, feel, and act about morality, sexuality. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians together. A few books to your left. Chapter 4. I'll give you guys a moment to get there because I want us all to be able to see this together. First Thessalonians 4. Look at the first eight verses here together. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Thessalonica, says, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort In the Lord Jesus, that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Did you guys just catch what Paul was saying? This is the will of God. What is the will of God for my life? Sanctification, brother, sister. Abstain from sexual immorality. Why would he bring that up? Obviously, because he created us. He knows us. It's an issue we all have. And he says in verse 4, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel, his own body in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage and defraud his brother in in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness or in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Now let's go a few more books to the left to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I love the letter Paul wrote to the Corinthians because he's dealing with a very carnal church. And I think it's one of the most needed books to be taught today in this time in church history, especially in our society. It's everywhere, guys. It's everywhere. 
Yesterday we were watching a show that never has that type of stuff in it with the kids. I had to tell them twice to close their eyes. Never has that stuff in this show. I'm like, what? Close your eyes! <laughs> it's just everywhere, even on the shows that we would consider clean and good. Such a bummer. 1 Corinthians 6, look at verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, that sucks outside of marriage, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such, catch this, and such were some of you. You are no longer those things in Christ. You've been set free. Reckon yourself dead to them. We don't have to sin anymore is what he's saying. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. All things are lawful for me. You guys know that? All things are lawful because of Christ. He fulfilled the law. But all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Do you guys get what he's saying there? We're set free. I don't have to drink any longer. You guys know that I'm free to drink as much as I want, though? Are we reading the same scriptures? Right? I'll tell you guys, I drink as much as I want to drink. I don't drink anything because I know what I do when I drink. I'm stupid. I've done things I regret. And praise God, I don't have to be an alcoholic. He set me free. Christian, if you're one of those that say, I'm so-and-so, I'm an alcoholic. No, you're a child of God. You're not an alcoholic. You've been set free. You don't have to anymore. I love it. Look at verse 20. It says, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That's the logical conclusion, right? Man, God's asking us to be sexually pure. Let's do it. We're set free to do it. We're not our own anymore. This vessel's his. Let's honor him with it. So we read these things. This is God's word, right? <laughs> and we think, oh, this is so old-fashioned. The Bible's saying that we may have made, you know, some sense a long time ago, but culture's changed. Time has changed. What's acceptable today, it's changed. What used to be considered immoral is now considered normal. We cannot live by those old dictates. But wait a minute. <laughs> That's not true. First of all, you have a very short-sighted view of history if you think that way. There's always been immorality that was considered normal or acceptable. I mean, when was Sodom and Gomorrah taking place? It's always been, guys. So the very culture in which Jesus was addressing, guys, Cicero, he was a contemporary 
to Julius Caesar, Mark Anthony, he wrote this, catch it. There is anyone who thinks a young man should be absolutely forbidden the love of courtesans, those would be those upper class prostitutes, he's extremely severe. I'm not able to deny the principle he states, but he is at variance, not only with the license of what our own age allows, but also with the customs and the concessions of our ancestors. When indeed was this not done? When did anyone ever find fault with it? When was such permission denied? When was it that which is now lawful was not lawful? Wow. It's always been. So mom and dad, when your kids come and say, man, times are changing. We don't do it the same way. No. Sin is sin. God calls us to holiness. It's that simple, guys. Stop making excuses. Satan's throne is out there. And let me tell you what, he is having his way. Just the access that people have to sexual immorality today. I'm scared to give my kids cell phones. I'll be honest with you guys. I'm scared to do that. Not because I don't trust them. And their hearts are pure. Not perfect, but they're good kids. But I know how good Satan is at what he does. We need to be careful, guys. So the false teachers, the Balaamites, the Nicolaitans, encouraged the believers there in Pergamos to conform to accept the standards of the world and stop being different. You must embrace, accept the sexual, homosexual agenda that is taking place in our nation today. Times are a-changing. And I'm a bigot because I want to stand in the word of God. I'm going to believe Jesus Christ over what the throne of Satan is declaring to this world. People's eyes need to be open. Sexual immorality is sin, Period. Man, if you're shacking up with your girlfriend, you're not married, that's sin, guys. Sexual sin stinks. It rips us off. And we as Christians are called to be set apart. We are to be different in that regard. So don't conform, be transformed. And they were very different when obedient. Very different. Some of you might be like, well, I struggle with pornography. Or I've cheated. You weren't obeying God. Be obedient. Is that what he asks us? Just be obedient. So it has been said that the one entirely new virtue that Christianity introduced to the ancient world was sexual purity. That was the one biggie that the Christians were known for. Everyone else is into all this junk. Let's have our parties. Get together. Hook up. But you Christians, man, you guys are a buzzkill. Don't even show up. That's what they were known for. Praise God. Holiness on display. 
honoring God. And this comes from the word of God. Christians were not normal, therefore very much not accepted. The struggle is there. And again, Christian, if the world's accepting us, something's wrong. Sexual purity is endorsed, and in this instance is about to be enforced by Jesus. Look at verse thir- or 16. Repent, back in Revelation 2, repent, or else I will come to you quickly, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. What a picture! Jesus is going to come and fight the church. What's going on? Tell them to repent or else. He's going to come. So the sharp two-edged sword, the sword of his mouth, God's word. I want to consider with you guys a couple sword-like qualities for a second. Pricks the conscience, doesn't it? The word of God. Any of you guys being pricked this morning? It's what the word of God does. It wounds the proud. It cuts away our camouflage. It pierces our defenses. It exposes motives. It lays bare our need and our sin. And it destroys error and false doctrine. I want you to jot down Hebrews 4.12. All of us know this scripture, but I'm going to read it to you out of the New Living Translation. I like how they put it. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes the innermost thoughts and desires. That's what the Word of God does. And we need that. And I think that's why you guys like coming to church here. Because you know the Word of God is needed. Because it's job to do a work in us that we often don't want to do or have exposed or see. But we want truth. We want God to change us. Let me tell you what, change doesn't happen until we see that there's need for change because it's very easy for us because we've been blessed so much. Everything's good. Everything's okay. Do you guys understand the teaching that comes around sanctification in the Bible? We've been justified when we put our faith in Christ, just as if you never sinned. But sanctification is a process. Okay, We are little Christs, like Christ. And we should be more and more like him every passing day until the day we die. And sanctification is a process. We're growing And we should be able to look back a year ago and say, wow, (laughs) I've grown. The way I think, the man, the woman I was, I'm not the same. Christ in me, (laughs) changing me. I'm loving more. I'm serving more. I actually desire more holiness. I want to be more like Jesus. So God's way of dealing with error is truth. That's what he does. He deals with truth. Unless we speak the truth, how are people going to know the truth? We need to be speaking it. It may be offensive. 
So it is only, it is the only way. I want to quote to you guys John Stott. He said this, falsehood will not be suppressed by gruesome methods of inquisition or by burning of heretics at the stake or by restrictive legislation. Ideas will not be overcome by force. Only truth can defeat error. The false ideologies of the world can be overthrown by the superior, superior ideology of Christ. We have no other weapon than this sword, and we must use it fiercely. I love that. David, I'll share that with you so he can share it and stand up for the truth. I think he was right on. Anyways, there comes a time where this sword becomes the sword of judgment. Again, verse 16, repent or else I will come to you quickly and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So not to picture Jesus with a tongue that's shaped like a sword. Rather, we're to understand this means that Jesus speaks decisive words of judgment. John chapter 12, verse 46, jot it down. John 12, 46, listen carefully. Jesus speaking, he says, I come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. Is that clear for you and I? Very clear. So we need to repent and believe. That is a command. So Christ's saving word turned judge for those who refuse to repent. They're going to be held accountable for what they know. So the sword of Rome was something to be feared, but the sword of Christ is greater than the sword of Rome, guys. Why do we fear man? I think of Matthew 10, 28. Here's another good one. Jot it down. Jesus saying, do not fear those that kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So whose judgment do you fear? The two here are in conflict. God's word and the word of the world. And you can't serve two masters. Have you guys ever heard that before? Undoable. God's word or the word from the world. See, are you giving the, into the sword of the spirit of the age that's pushing you to indulge into your flesh or whatever? You may be. But you know the cool part? We can repent. Did you guys catch what Jesus is saying here? It's not too late. Christian, you may be blowing it. Guess what? You can repent. That's going to take a lot of work. I got to clean myself up first and start doing right things and putting things into place and getting my accountability partners. No, repent is that fast. I'm done. I'm turning from my sin. I've turned to you, Jesus. That's repentance. And I'm going to keep my eyes on you. I'm not turning back to it. That's true repentance, guys. Amen. 
Amen. So the call to repent is always one of love. Do you guys get that? Repent that times of refreshing may come from being in the presence of the Lord. Wow, nothing better than being with Jesus. To be in his presence. To find refreshing. And what do I need to do? Repent. It's not a bad word, guys. It's a sweet, beautiful, wonderful word. Embrace it. Love it. So this is an attempt to keep us from judgment because of love. And it offers us an alternative. Right? First night, or first John 1 9, right? If you confess your sins, is God faithful to forgive us? Absolutely. Read it for yourself. Be real. Be honest. Cry out to God. Better promises are true. So verse 17, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And that's why we're going through all these letters, all seven of them. All the churches, are you hearing what God's saying to them? To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. So these two precious gifts are promised to the one who remains faithful to Jesus. Overcome this hidden manna, a white stone with a new name on it. These are promises of the ultimate fulfillment in Christ. So idolatry, the desire for satisfaction or some security to have our needs met, the sexual immorality to desire intimacy, to be known deeply, to experience nearness, God promises this manna. His provision is going to be given. In the stone, in the secret name, this exclusive knowledge, this intimate, private interaction that in essence really is the intimacy God knows that we want. Does he know you? Do you know him? This is eternal life that you know him. Jesus is arming us for a war against lust. Offering us heavenly joys that far outweigh the passing pleasures of sin upon this planet. To deny Christ as they did is to say who Jesus is is not better. To engage in idolatry and immorality is to say what Jesus offers is not better. So Christian, where are you with sexual purity? Christian, are you like the world? Idolatry. Or are you different? Father, I pray that we would not just desire to be different, that we would be totally open to what the consequences what it means to please you and not man to truly care about holiness righteousness you you're the one we seek 
And as you promised, Matthew 6.33, all these other things will be added on to us. And it's because it's you. We seek you. And you're the becoming one. You're the great I am. You're everything we need. We thank you that you are truthful. We're thankful that your word, which is truth, sanctifies us. And I pray, Lord, that you'd stir up a hunger in each and every one of us, Lord, to seek you in ways that we never have before, to take your word more serious than we ever have before. I pray that your spirit would encourage my brothers and sisters in their walks we would love each other, that we would bear one another's burdens. We see how sin so easily ensnares us. God, help us to walk uprightly, quick to repent, wanting to keep our eyes fixed upon you, Jesus. Thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for this church family. Thank you for speaking to us today. So, once again, guys, the last couple messages, the first two letters we looked at, I felt come off, I don't want to use the word harsh, but God, in speaking truth, in seeing where the church corporately is at, and the things that we're facing, especially what I believe are the last of the last days, like Satan knows the hour is late, and he is, I believe, maneuvering and doing and fighting harder than he probably ever has before, trying to take down as many as he can. I mean, honestly, guys, 1990 was a fun year for me. 2050 is the same amount of time away from 1990. And I look till today, 2020. Things have swung so fast in my lifetime. These things have always been going on. But just in my context, my life, evil is abounding. We're redefining language to accept We are willing to call evil good. There's no absolutes. Everyone's offended by everything. It's just goofy. There's no absolutes anymore. Anything goes. Things are swinging fast. And I think about that. If the Lord does tarry and we find ourselves in 2050, where are things going to be at? And I think that's why these messages are really hitting us the way they are. is just because we're living in it. I believe I'm parallel to any other time. But I've really prayed and I really wanted to encourage this morning. I felt again that this message, instead of a lot of encouragement, came off a little harsh again. But that's God's word. I'm not to play with it. I need to allow it to do what it does but i do want to leave you with this encouragement because it is easy especially 
being a part of the church in the West, in America, we see the church declining. We see the church compromising. We're seeing one of the largest denominations splitting over sin. <laughs> you say this is okay and God says it's not. Well, we're going to split our entire denomination. I mean, this is what we're facing today, guys. But I want to encourage you too, because it's, look, it's easy to look and say, man, we are blowing it. What have we done? What are we doing? Be encouraged too, because as I study church history and I look at what God's done through the church, there's so much to give thanks to God for. I look at the way the world's been impacted by the missionaries that have been sent from the West, the monies that we share and we give to missionaries, different gospel works around the world, there's a lot. We look at our blessings. It's because we're so blessed. We're so comfortable. That's why we're falling apart. You know? But in that, too, I want to encourage you. God can use our blessings for his glory, too. And God has in the church. And it's not too late. We have a big God. If his people will turn from their wicked ways and pray. I encourage you guys this Saturday, come out and pray. We're going to pray from sunup to sundown. So if it's bright outside, <laughs> you can come and hang out at church and pray with us. And I, one thing I want to ask you guys for our day of prayer on Saturday, pray extravagantly. We got a big God. Nothing's too small. He cares. He's a big God. Pray boldly. Be seeking Him. Man, what would God do if His people would just pray?